Good evening. <clears throat> My voice, well, it finally changed. What can I say? <clears throat> I finally became a man. I finally sound manly instead of that irritating voice that you guys have to hear all the time. <clears throat> I will try to get through this. I am so pumped to be here. I was so bummed to sit there and have to like lip sync because I love to sing at the top of my lungs. I probably throw these guys off all the time anyways, but tonight they probably like, good, we can't even hear them. Um, but we will see what happens tonight. But before we do, I want to, um, John, come on up, John. John has a little thing he wants to share with us something that the Lord has done in his life, and he came to ask me if he could share. He was nervous about asking me, but um, go ahead, John. Scared. Scared. <laughs> um, first of all, I'd like to say a little prayer to the Lord before I start. Um, thank you, Lord, for giving me this opportunity and changing my heart from the ways I used to be and to the ways I am now. Bless all these people like you have blessed me, and keep your blessings coming. Thank you. To Jesus Christ, amen. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about me. I spent most of my adult life in prison, in and out, in and out on drugs. And uh, it wasn't easy, you know. I had a lot of pride. I was tough guy number one, all this and all that. But in 2008... After I'd lost everything, including my mom passed away and everything like that, there was one day I I dropped to my knees. I was behind the Stater Brothers over there off of 18 and 395, and I asked the Lord to take my life. And uh, But I meant for him to take me off this earth. I didn't know he was going to do this for me. <laughs> <clears throat> but I ended up at that time doing five years in prison Well, I got out last year and I just got off probation yesterday, the first time ever. And I texted all my family and that's why I came to Zeke. I let them know that, you know, and Zeke's helped me out many times through hard times. And uh, anyway, I want to read a little bit from uh, Romans chapter 14. Um, verse 5 through 9, and uh, it says, He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. He who gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord... He does not eat and gives and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and now lived again. Uh, or in lived again, that he might be 
the Lord of both the dead and the living. And I'll end it in, in verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. Well, since then, the, the devil tugs at me here and there, and I see my family members are still messed up, and they're hungry. They don't have food, so I get them food. But it's like I don't want to ignore them, but if I put myself in those situations, I'm afraid I'll take that chance, and I don't want to take that chance. But um, with the help of a good church, I was baptized here by Gary Malchus years ago, and uh, I knew Larry, Gary, and then when I got out and I seen Zeke as a chaplain, I was happy because someone was still here that I knew, that knew me. <laughs> but um, I just want to give thanks to God for all he's done to, done for me, and uh, thank you, Lord. And thank you for hearing me. <laughs> the mighty things that God has done in people's lives. He never stops working. He is always at work. It's interesting because even when, <clears throat> when we don't quite understand why he does what he does, he always has a purpose. Um, a couple of things you guys need to continue to pray about. Pastor Larry is doing well. He's home. Um, he had an angiogram on Monday, and then they replaced the stint. And now he's like ready to do cartwheels. He's home already, and so he's doing well. Um, also, I just heard before we came out, um, Katie and uh, Randy Webster, Web Webster, their little boy, touched the hot the, the wood-burning stove, and so they're at the ER, so pray for them. Bonnie, who sings, was going to be here, but she's down with them. So pray for them. Continue to pray for them. But let's pray right now, and then we'll get into the Word. Lord, we do want to pray, God, for Pastor Larry, that you would continue to give him strength, Lord, that you would just continue to give him that urgency to continue to uh, to share to minister and to do the things that you've called them to do. Lord, we thank you for sparing them, and we ask that you would strengthen that family. We pray for Katie and Randy and the little baby, and we pray that, God, you would just keep your hand upon them and uh, just protect them right now, giving the doctors wisdom and understanding, praying that, God, you would just alleviate any pain right now. And, Lord, we thank you for the mighty works that you have done in my brother John's life, Lord. Pray that, God, he would keep his eyes solely on you, remembering, Lord God, from where you've taken him from, and that you truly, Lord God, want to use him and use his life for your glory, and so continue to use him in a powerful way. And so tonight, Lord, just be with my voice as I share your word, Lord. I have truly a desire to share this portion of scripture, Lord, and I want to do it justice. So just help me and help my brothers and sisters to be able to understand. And so, Lord, please, I ask, take over right now and do a mighty work. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, last week, we got started in the book of Romans. I tried to give as much background 
as I possibly can, um, as much history as possible, probably mostly because I like that stuff. I like to know why books are written. I want to know what Paul was thinking, especially if it's Paul or whoever's writing it. In this case, it's Paul. I want to know why he were, he's writing to a church that, or a people he had never really been with. He knew some, but not all. And so my heart is to, to give you as much background as I possibly can find, and there's so much in this book. We went through the church history and found out how many people this book has touched and changed in powerful ways. Those who are known and those who we will never know. But yet, because they are God's children, we will see them in heaven. And so it's always good to get as much background as possible, to better understand what is written. If we have a better understanding of what is written, it tends to give those who are studying it and those who are going through it, a better perspective of what is ahead in the book. If we can understand the history of the book, we can understand why he says certain things in that book. I was thinking about this the other day as I was contemplating the book of Romans And how important the placement of the book of Acts was. That right after Jesus' life, then we have the book of Acts. And it's in a strategic place. Because if we didn't have the book of Acts, we would get to Romans and and think, who in the heck is Paul? We have no clue who Paul would be if it wasn't for the book of Acts. It's interesting that the book of Acts finishes with Paul making his way and arriving in Rome. Again, we would be thinking, why is he writing to these people? And so the placement of the book of Romans is perfect in that the book of of Acts ends getting to Rome, and now we are in the book of Romans. It's interesting, when Paul wrote this book, to the Romans, it would still take him, it would take him at least three to four years to get there when he wrote this book. So kind of keep that in mind, that he is writing to a people that he hasn't even seen. He knew some, but not all. And he wouldn't get there for another three to four years. Romans 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through, the, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead through him we have received grace and apostleship 
for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Christ Jesus. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at the last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I might that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is a power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from, from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The book of Romans has the longest introduction of all the other writings that Paul wrote. He always introduces himself in the beginning, just like it was in that time. These things were made up in scrolls, and so you wanted to make sure that the people knew who it was before they got going. So you introduced yourself, and you told a little bit about yourself. In this one, we have seven verses of introduction before he gets into how he prays for them. He had never been to this place, so it's quite possible he thought, well, maybe I should just introduce myself a little bit more than I would to other people that do know me. He had never been to Colossae either, but he didn't give them a long introduction. But one of his best friends, Epaphras, who got that church going in Colossae, was one of his dear fellow servants and a faithful minister. And so he had that kind of connection with the church of Colossae, and so he doesn't give them a big introduction. They knew Paul. Many of them had gone just 100 miles from Colossae to Ephesus to hear Paul. So a lot of people knew him, but that was not the case in Rome. And so he says in verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Paul had a long prayer list, to say the least. 
If you read his other scripture, his other books, you know that he was always praying. He was praying for these people that were in his life. He never ceased praying. He was constantly in prayer. And yet he went about his day of of making tents. He was a tent maker. He went about his day preaching the gospel. He went about his days going into the synagogues and trying to reach the Jews. He went about his days traveling and doing all that he could possibly do. And yet he was always praying at the same time. What a man. What What an example he is for us that we are to pray without ceasing. It tells us that in in uh, in First uh, Thessalonians chapter five, that we are to pray without ceasing. We are to have those prayer lists in our lives. There are people in our lives that we are to be praying for continually. It's interesting that he didn't know all these people, but he knew some. He knew some of them, <clears throat> but he thanked God for all of them. Every last one of them. Paul was very thankful. This man was, was, was a man who, who understood what it meant, meant to be thankful. He knew what God had taken him from. And the people that he was able to minister to and the job that God had given him, the calling, and he was so thankful that he was privileged enough to go and do those things. And he was a thankful person. I truly believe that that he is just not saying this, that he is thankful. I truly believe he he meant it deep down inside. When he says, I am so thankful for you, that he truly meant it. I, I truly believe that he would agonize over people's lives and he was thankful for them, whether they were doing good or not doing good, whether that church was excelling or not excelling. He was so thankful always praying for them. He understood. And I'm sure these people did too. But he is reiterating to them that the only way he could come before the Father is through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's no other way that we can come before the throne room if not through Jesus Christ. And he says that, he mentions that there to remind them once again, it's only through Jesus that I can give thanks to you. You know, it's interesting. I, I, again, because of Jesus in his life and because he has access to the Father, Paul, before he was a Christian, why would he give thanks to, for these guys? He went after them, and now he thanks God for them. He understood that it was only through Jesus Christ. He was such a thankful person. And though Paul had not been there, did know quite a bit of people there. And you can tell, and we gathered that from the last chapter of this book. If you read chapter 16, he lists off some 20 people that he knew that were there. Some people had come into his life, he had met, and they had gone back there. But he thanked God for all of them, not just the ones he knew. Their faith, it says, was spoken of throughout the whole world. And that would mean the Roman Empire, the known world at the time. Everywhere he went, he ran into people. Because all roads led to Rome, it's only obvious that all roads led out of Rome. 
And whenever they ended up wherever Paul was at, he always heard about the, the Christians up in Rome. Wherever he was traveling to and from, wherever people were traveling to and from, because it was always a highway going, <clears throat> people were talking. People were mentioning this group of people in Rome. Now, it doesn't mean that everything was, that was spoken of was good. It could very well be that within the Christian community, it was well spoken of. Man, these brothers up there, they're hardcore. They're doing good. You see, earlier, several years earlier, one of the Caesars had kicked out all the Jews and stuff, and now they're making their way back. And so it wasn't a pleasant place to be. It was a big city, and there was a lot of sin. And yet, within that big city and all that was going on there, these Christians were making themselves known. They were putting themselves out there. They weren't holding back. And again, within the church, I'm, I'm sure they were just so proud of these guys. But maybe those outside the community of the church... I'm sure those people were talking about the changes that were going on in the people that they knew. All of a sudden, they're, they're, they're all you know, doing their own thing and all of a sudden they're following after this Jesus and lives are being changed and transformed. And it's quite possible that whether they liked it or not or agreed with it or not, they were talking about these Christians in Rome. So Paul says, God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit, in the gospel of his son, that, I'm, I, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer. Paul, it didn't seem like he was one to be praying out in public, to be seen of men. He wasn't out elaborating in his prayers like the Pharisees. Oh, he had seen much of that in his religious life. But he wasn't one to be out there praying in the open streets, praying out loud for the people. He calls God as his witness because God was really the only one that knew how much he prayed. God heard him all the time. And you know, as, I, as I'm thinking about that, it's like, does God know your voice? Do you go into that place and pray constantly with him, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing? You know, it's interesting because we can hear people pray out loud, which is great, especially when we're having corporate prayer. And some of it is so eloquent, and some people are intimidated to pray because they can't pray like that guy or that girl. But does God hear you on a regular basis? He never ceased. Paul never ceased. God knew his voice continually. You see, Paul... Paul was, not that he didn't pray in front of people, I'm sure he did, but most of the time it was in that secret place with his father. 
Many of you commute, man, and many of you that I talk to, man, you guys use the road from here to down the hill for your prayer time. Awesome. Don't close your eyes. But again, it's not the position, it's the heart. It doesn't have to be even out loud. You can just be talking with him in your heart and in your mind. He hears that. We are to be praying continually, lifting them up, lifting people up in our lives. Paul is lifting these people up that he had, he had never met for the most part. He's lifting up those who he knew by name into the throne room of grace. He is lifting up a church as a whole in front of God to heaven. I don't know how you feel about the fact that there are people or how would you feel if you knew that somebody was always lifting you up into the presence of God. That you had somebody always praying for you. How, how would you feel? How would that make you feel that your name is being mentioned in heaven? You know, there, there's people in your life that maybe not too many people are praying for, but maybe you're the one that needs to be praying for them. Because nobody else is. I got a newsletter from a friend of mine in Hamburg, Germany. One of the missionaries that we support over there, Joey Roper. He was telling us in this newsletter that his kids are in school and these little boys were bothering his little girls. And so they had to go have the talk with the principal and all that stuff. But him and his wife got together and they started praying for this kid by name. And then it dawned on him because it's such a godless nation. It dawned on him. I wonder if this is the first time somebody has lifted up this little boy by name into the heavens. And when I read that, I thought, whoa, that is heavy. Maybe nobody's ever prayed for this little boy by name and lifted him up into the voice or into, into the, the ears of, of the God in heaven. And I thought, wow, Lord. Guys, we, need, we need to be praying Guys, if you're not praying for your spouse, who is? Who is praying for your spouse? If you're not praying for your children, who is? Who's praying for them? Are you making mention of them always in your prayers? We should. <clears throat> Paul was not only praying for those in Rome, but he was praying that he himself would be able to go to Rome. And one of the things that struck me was in verse 10. Is he says, making request, if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. What struck me is Paul was looking for a way in the will of God to make it there. He had it so heavy on his heart to go there that he is looking for a way. Lord, I want to find a way in your will to be there. The first time we hear of Paul wanting to go to Rome is in Acts chapter 19. 
but he said that he wanted to go back to Jerusalem and be there for the festival. He says, but I must go to Rome. There was something in his heart that he wanted to go to Rome, like I shared last week, perhaps because he was a Roman citizen. He had never been there. He wanted to be there. It's quite possible. But from that point in Acts chapter 19, it would still take at least six years for him to get there. And like I said earlier, the time of his writing, it would still take three to four years to get there. And yet he was looking for a way for God to find it in his heart that in your will, Lord, please make a way for me to be there. As Paul was finding a way in the will of God, I don't think he pictured the voyage to be the way it was. For those of you who were here in the book of Acts, I don't think he pictured that's the way I'm going to get there. Oftentimes, God's will and our will don't look exactly the same. I'm sure when he's looking in God's will, Lord, please let me, let, you know, maybe send me out there for, as a missionary. <laughs> Instead, he goes as a prisoner. We, we look for or want the easy way or the easy will of God <laughs> in our lives. But God gives us the best way or the best will in our lives instead. And sometimes, again, they just don't look like the way we thought it would be. I think oftentimes when we're praying for God's will, we want a bed of roses, huh? We want it to go nice and smooth. Lord, if it's your will, let me get there safely. Instead of like, Lord, if it's your will, if I need to wreck so I can end up in the hospital, so I can preach to that person. <laughs> How many of you guys have ever prayed that one? <laughs> Probably nobody, huh? No, we always want the easy will, Lord. And he says, no, I have a best will for you. And for Paul, as he is finding this will, he was preaching the gospel. You see, his desire to get to Rome would take him back to Jerusalem first. And there he would be arrested. He would be tried. He, he, he would be sought to be killed. He would be moved to Caesarea and in Caesarea, he would be there and left in prison for over two years to stand trial. And eventually, he would take off to Rome, but in a cargo ship, not a luxury liner. And oh yeah, he had a shipwreck along the way. He wasn't thinking, really, Lord, this is your will? This is the way you think I should go? Yeah, because as he is finding the will of God to get to Rome, he had opportunity upon opportunity to preach the gospel to those in prison and to kings along that way. God had it nailed for him. You see, through it all, he never backed down. He never stopped. He never said, man, it's just not going my way. I don't think this is God's will. No, he continued. He understood his desire was that of the Lord and his will. The Lord confirmed it while he was in Jerusalem, arrested. He said to him, 
you must also bear witness in Rome. And so he knew he would get to Rome. Verses 11 through 14. He says, for I long to see you, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Even though he may have known a few people there, by and large, he didn't know them all. And he is saying this to a people that he doesn't really know. I long to see you. Because they had something in common and that commonality was being stirred up within him. He wanted to be with those brothers and sisters in Rome. There was something that was drawing him there. There was that deep desire that I believe the Lord had put on his heart. This longing that Paul has to see them is defined as a yearning, a craving. And that word for for longing, it also indicates, it denotes a lust, but not in a bad way. <laughs> there was a lust for him to be there. It drove him, but not in a bad way because it was to impart some spiritual gift to them, to strengthen, establish them. The word spiritual means non-carnal, so it couldn't be bad. So this longing was pure. His motive was pure. He wanted to impart to them this gift. Not gifts, a gift. And that word in the Greek for gift, the word is charisma. Interesting. But it's not the word that we think of when we think of the word charisma. Charm, appealing, personality no it comes from the word charis which means grace he wanted to establish them in grace because he had the gospel of grace that he wanted to preach to them he wanted them to understand the grace of God like he understood it Paul didn't have the market on grace but he did understand it in his life. He had seen it in action. Not only in his life, but in the lives of others. He knew what that grace would mean to them. I'm sure they were experiencing grace, but he just wanted to pour into them more of what it looked like. He also knew this, that as he gave out, as he poured himself out, it would also benefit him as well. There would be this mutual strengthening as he went and poured himself out. They would pour themselves into his life. And he would love them. And he would feel that love in return from them because he pours himself out. There was this this mutual strengthening that would come about from one another because they had a mutual faith. I like this. I like this about Paul. That even though he is the great apostle Paul. And I'm sure some people wanted to be around him. I'm sure when they got this letter going, ooh, Paul's coming. Everybody in the the world knew Paul, it seemed like, in the Christian community. 
People wanted to get to know him because of who he was. But he didn't see himself any different than any of the other believers. He didn't have the market on faith. His wasn't more special than anyone else's. And I love that, that he is sharing with them. He says, I need encouragement just like you need encouragement. I know that if I pour into you, you will pour into me. He understood what that meant. Paul needed encouragement just like anybody else. It doesn't matter you're standing in the church. It doesn't matter what position one may hold. Encouragement goes both ways. Because they share and we share a mutual faith. I'm sure other pastors get encouraged. I'm, I'm sure of it. But I don't think any of them get encouraged as much as I do here with you guys. I really don't. I, I truly believe, again, it's just me because I love you guys. This is family. I truly believe that the Lord has given me such a heart to pour out to you and you guys pour out to me so much. You can't even understand how much you pour into me. There's people that come into my office or send me emails or send me notes and they encourage me and they pour into me and it's like, uh. the other day I was reading Jim a letter that somebody left on my desk and I'm bawling like a little girl because it's like, man, Lord, you guys encourage me. Guys, it's a mutual faith. It's not something that's exclusive up here that only I can experience this grace or this faith. We all do. God has just called me in a different position, but we have a mutual faith. And that's what Paul is saying to these people. We have this mutual faith. It's, I'm no better than any of you. Paul now wants them to understand that his lack in coming to them was not because he didn't want to be with them. He longed for them. He yearned for them. But he was hindered from going there and being there. Now, I don't think that this hindrance was from Satan as he told the Thessalonians, I wanted to go time and again, but Satan hindered me. He doesn't say that here. He says that he's been hindered. Not all hindrances in our lives are from the enemy. Paul was seeking the will of God. He was doing the will of God. And it was just a matter of timing, God's timing to get him there. And so God had put hindrances in his way so that he wouldn't make it there just like he wanted to go to the Bithynia. And God said, no, the Holy Spirit forbid him. And he went down the other way. He closed the door over there so he can open a door somewhere else. I don't think that we should give the enemy that much credit that he is always hindering us, he's always bugging us. I'm not saying that Satan doesn't try to, to hinder God's people from doing God's work. But when Satan hinders, it means to impede, to obstruct, to hamper, slow down, delay. 
It's no more than an obstacle. And obstacles you can get around. But oftentimes we see an obstacle, it's like, can't get through. And Satan's going, eh, fell for it. And we can't go. No, you can go around, you can jump it. I wouldn't right now because I hurt myself. But <clears throat> the obstacles, that's all they are. God is the only one that opens and closes doors. He is the only one that opens and closes doors. Satan cannot close a door on you. He can't. Now, you would think that Paul would be satisfied with all the fruit that he had from all the other places he had ministered to. But man, he wanted to go to Rome because he wanted to be and have fruit from among them also. He wasn't satisfied with it. He wasn't satisfied with all the places. He still needed Rome. He still wanted Rome. He wanted the fruit in Rome as well. Not only the fruit that would result in him pouring out to the believers, but the fruit that would come from those who would come to know Christ as well. Guys, let us not be satisfied with just the fruit that is in our lives. Desire more fruit. You know, a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, you know, on Sunday mornings, I'm usually praying early and, and going over my study. And then as I'm driving to church, I'm praying for our valley. I'm praying for our community as I'm driving to church. And I'm usually praying, Lord, wake them up. Wake people up. Send them to church. And one morning as I'm driving about a month ago, and I've been praying it since, I started praying. I said, Lord, send them to my church. Send them to our church. And I said, Lord, I know I'm being selfish here. But I want them here, not because I want a big church, because I want to pour into them. I know what God has given me to preach. I know that maybe I might not be elaborate and I might not be eloquent or whatever, but I know that I will give them the word of God. And I said, send them here, Lord. Send them all here. I want them all. I'm getting selfish here. And as I was reading this about Paul, I'm going, well, okay, maybe I'm on the right track. Because I don't think that this was selfishness on Paul's part. He wanted to be in the middle of everything that God was doing. He wanted to be in the middle of it. I do too. I want to be in the middle of what's going on in God's, in God's kingdom. I want to be a Budinsky in God's kingdom, man. I want to butt in in everything. What's going on? I want to be a part of it. I don't want to miss out. Paul didn't want to miss out on anything. He loved seeing God work, and he loved being used by him. And that should be our hearts as well, guys. What do you want to do, Lord? I want to be in it. Lord, wake me up. Get me up. Help me not to be lazy. Guys, I could be just as lazy as the next guy. But I thrive on being with God's people. I thrive when I get to go on campuses and talk to kids that don't know Jesus. I thrive when I'm getting invited by the school district to be in meetings with them. It's like I thrive on that. I want to be around there. I want to let my light shine. I love family functions. Most of them are heathens, man. I love them to death. I love being around them. I want to be that light. <clears throat> Paul says, I am indebted I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. 
he felt this obligation to proclaim the gospel of grace to all mankind, to all the known world. He had that, that indebtedness because he knew what he had received. And he wasn't satisfied until he was totally, totally spent. He wasn't satisfied. You see, the Greeks considered all non-Greeks as barbarians. And they saw themselves as wise and everybody else unwise or foolish. If they didn't understand a language, well, it was all Greek to them. No, it wasn't all Greek to them. <clears throat> it was actually, it sounded more like barbar to them. Like we would say blah, blah. To them it sounded more like barbar and hence the word barbados, barbados, or however the word is, but barbarian. So from verses 15 to 17 here. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul says, on my part, as far as I'm concerned, I'm all in. I'm ready. Now, <clears throat> there are two Greek words that translate ready in the King James Version. Version. One means prepared, as in Acts 21, 13, when Paul says, I am ready to die at Jerusalem for the name of, the, of Jesus Christ. I am ready for that. The other word is used here in verse 15. That word means eager. With a ready mind. You see, Paul was not eager to die, but he was prepared to die. But he was eager. He was eager to go visit Rome that he might minister to the believers there. It was not an eagerness to go and sightsee. It was an eagerness to go save souls. That's what his heart was. And what a testimony we have here of Paul. First he says, I am a debtor to all men. Then he says, I am ready to preach the gospel in Rome. And then he says, and I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why would Paul even mention it like that? Why would he say that he is not ashamed? Why would he be tempted even to be ashamed of the gospel as he contemplates a trip to Rome? For one thing, the gospel was identified with a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified. The Romans had no special uh, appreciation for the Jews, first of all. And crucifixion was the lowest form of execution given to any co common criminal. So why would anybody put faith in a Jewish person who, who was crucified. Another thing, Rome was a very proud city and the gospel had come from Jerusalem, a capital city of one of the little nations that they had conquered. Big deal. The Christians in that day and even in Rome were not in the elite society. They were common people, even slaves. 
Rome was known for its philosophers and its philosophies. Why would anybody pay attention to a fable, some story about a Jewish guy who rose from the dead? The Roman people looked down on these Christians, on these people. Christians looked at each other with love and and called each other's brothers and sisters. And that was such a, it just went against the grain of the Roman pride and dignity. But Paul was not ashamed of any of that. He was not ashamed who he represented. Turn with me if you can, or if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is what Paul shares with the Corinthians. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. To the Jew, for Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jew, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are being, who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. To the Romans, this might seem like foolishness, but Paul knew the power of it. And he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He knew the power behind it. Rome was all about power. They thrived on power. But they had no clue what this type of power was all about. That's why Paul was not ashamed. He was some poor prisoner arriving at at, at Rome. And he had more power in him than they all had in their whole empire. He knew the power of God. He knew who lived within him. And he was not ashamed of the power of God. He was not ashamed of the gospel of God. The Roman Empire collapsed. And guess what? The power of God today continues. It continues because the power of the gospel is still mighty to save. And the Romans could not do that. They could not save themselves. They could not save their empire. It says that it was preached to the Jew first and then the Greeks. And it is meant for all men. The gospel came to the Jews first. But it also reached the Greeks or the Gentiles. And in verse 17... As we close here, he says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, The just shall live by faith. (laughs) The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. That's the good news. We receive it by faith. 
We cannot, in our own righteousness, stand before God. It is the righteous God himself who declares us righteous without compromising his own righteousness. In the process, he declares us not guilty, but it's only because he sent his son to pay the price. Oh, he didn't compromise. He knew what it would cost. And he did it. Oh, he's still holy. And that is why it is only the power of God through the power of the gospel, which is through Jesus Christ, that we can stand before him not guilty. He takes the guilty and makes them not guilty. Humanly speaking, it is inconceivable. That's why it is from faith to faith. In other words, it springs from faith and leads to faith. The just, those who are justified, those who are righteous, shall live by faith. The just, the just shall live by faith. A quote from Habakkuk 2.4. It is used three times in the New Testament. Here, in Galatians and in Hebrews, here, it, it deals with the just. That's what the whole book is all about, the righteousness of God, the, the righteous, who he makes righteous. He makes us just. In Galatians, it deals with shall live. And in Hebrews, it deals with by faith. And so each time that it is mentioned in the New Testament, it takes different portions of the just shall live by faith. Just are the righteous, the righteous, those who stand right before God. But it's only through faith. It's only through faith that we can stand before God. He makes us righteous. He makes us just. Let me read to you verses 15, 16, and 17 through the Amplified as we close up here. So, for my part, I am willing and eager, ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel good news of Christ. For it is the power of God working unto salvation for deliverance from, from eternal death to everyone who believes with a personal trust and confident surrendered and firm reliance to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in the gospel, a righteousness which God ascribes is revealed, both springing, forth, springing from faith and leading to faith, disclosed through the way of faith that arouses to more faith. As it is written, the man who through faith is just and upright shall live, shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we just want to bless you and thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord God, that you have given us your word. You have given us the good news, Lord. Lord, help us not to be ashamed the gospel of God, Lord. 
Lord, you put us in front of people. Help us not to be ashamed of it. Help us to stand strong, Lord God. They don't have that power that you have given us, Lord, and we want to share that with others. Lord, I'm, I, I know that sometimes we feel intimidated by other people's prestige and power that they may have, but they are dead in their trespasses and sins, Lord, and I pray for boldness that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. Lord, give us a heart to pray for those who we might not even know, the people we come across in our, in our world here, Lord, in our known world. Lord, to pray for those who we pass by, to pray for those, Lord, whom our kids go to school with, to pray for those, Lord God, in our community. Lord, that, that you would bring them to a saving knowledge. Lord, bring them here that they might hear your word. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would truly fill them with your spirit, Lord. You've called them to be righteous. You've declared them not guilty for those who are in Christ Jesus. Help them to walk guiltless, Lord. Help them to walk in the power of the gospel that they would not faint, that they would not drop back, Lord, that they would look for a will, some way your will to lead them and guide them in your ways, Lord, to reach others, Lord. Give them belonging to those around them, Lord. And we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, man. Let's pray. Let's stand as we sing our last song.